You uh, hopefully all heard that. The recording is in progress, so Otherwise, we'll go from there. Uh, we're, we're looking at chapter three. We're just getting into chapter three, and it's kind of interesting. What we look in each chapter, there's something specific that that uh, James is attempting to teach us in chapter one. Well, all over these first three chapters, we're talking about what are the characteristics of a mature Christian? Um, chapter one tells us that you need to be patient in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tests, in the midst of uh, temptations. You need to, to rest and trust in God. In chapter two, we've been told we need to practice speaking the truth. And that truth is important, not only in what we say, but also in how we how we act. Uh, that our deeds uh, should come from uh, from uh, the overflow of our uh, thankfulness and appreciation uh, and love for our God who has saved us. And then now in chapter three, we're going to talk about the, the characteristic of a mature believer is somebody who has a power over his tongue. I got to tell you. That's a tough one. We talked about it a little bit in chapter one, and I'll be referring occasionally to that. We're told to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath in James uh, 1. We're told that uh, if you don't bridle your tongue, you're not truly religious in chapter 1, verse 26. And uh, we're told uh, in chapter 2 that uh, we must speak and act as though we're already facing uh, Christ, uh, Christ's judgment. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a pastor friend of mine who uh, I actually worked with, and I'm not sure if I would actually call him a friend. I, I, I'd like to think maybe we were. I worked for him. It was the very first paid position I ever had. He was a doctor, uh, had a doctorate from uh, Dallas Theological. Uh, I was uh, pretty much a newbie when it came to being on staff. Well, I used to come into his office after he'd had a counseling session with whomever he'd been in, and he would basically dump everything that he had just learned about that person on, onto me and all the things that he had said to them. I, I, he was probably the biggest gossip I've ever known. And I used to think, well, maybe it's because I'm on staff and he thinks I need to know this information so that I can whatever. And, and yet, what I found is, as time went on was that whoever went in the office after the, the, the counseling session got to hear about that counseling session. It didn't matter who they were. He just loved to tell everybody about what other people's problems were and what was going on. And, and you know, you try to talk to him about it. He just, he, he, well, you know, this is stuff that you need to know. And I'm going, I don't know that I need to know all this stuff, Doc. I'm not sure that's the... It's important for me to know. And uh, it did kind of remind me of the, of the story of a friend of mine who talked about the fact that uh, a member of his church was, he thought was a really bad gossip. It was a lady and she used to be on the phone all, all day long. And, you know, whatever tidbit she learned, she'd run and go and share with everybody else. Uh, and so she came to uh, my pastor friend one day and said, basically, she said, uh, Pastor, the Lord's been convicting me of my sin of gossip, and my tongue is 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 getting me and others in trouble. And uh, I, I he, you know, my friend said, well, that's uh, that's good you uh, you understand that, but he said uh, um, he doubted how, how sincere he was. So he said, how do you plan on handling that? 
And her comment was, uh, well, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And my, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had the guts to do this. My friend said, there isn't an altar big enough for your tongue. <laughs> I, I, I've had some friends that were, I mean, I've been times when I've, I've said things that I was a little whatever about, but boy, I tell you, sometimes some of my friends have had some real corkers, I thought, uh, when it comes to that. The power of speech is so important. In fact, let's read about it. I want to look in, in James chapter 3, and we're going to read from verses 1 through verse 11. Now, I doubt we'll get that far, but we'll do our best. All right, so here we go. For those of you I'm reading out of the NIV, and it says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never, is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect or mature man and able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the, the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are uh, so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great fire, a, a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father with and with it we curse men who have been made in god's light likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers this should not be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring and that's where we'll stop i want to just talk a little bit about this and about the fact that the power of speech is something that god has specifically seems to have given to us and he wants us to use it to praise him, to pray, to preach, to help bring others into the kingdom of God and, and to uh, bring them to Christ. But it's the same tongue that, that we also use at times to ruin man's reputation or break somebody's heart. And the ability of the tongue is to influence others is an amazing thing. I think about you know, I think it was uh, Goebbels who in, in uh, World War II was master propaganda person for the Nazis and uh, used to say that you could tell, you know, if you told a lie enough, and I'm paraphrasing, if you told a lie enough, eventually most people would believe it. And um, it's amazing what we can accomplish with our words. Um, notice that James gives us uh, several pictures we haven't discussed a couple but one at least but he talks about it being a bit a rudder a fire a poisonous animal a fountain and in verse 12 it's a fig tree um, but the problem is that uh, basic problem we have with self-deception and double-mindedness that's raised in chapter one and the root of, of the problem of inactive faith confronted in chapter two is the is really ties back to the tongue very often 
When believers don't exercise wholehearted faith, they fall prey to their own lusts and begin to justify themselves for what their actions are. And they, they blame God for their temptations. Um, it's inevitable that when that happens, the rich uh, are merciless in the way that they treat the poor. And the problem with the tongue or speech extends throughout the rest, almost the whole rest of this letter. We're going to run into it again in chapter four. We're going to run into it in chapter five. We're going to talk about slander. We're going to talk about posting. We're going to be talking about grumbling about uh, others in your fellowship. All of those things going on in, in throughout the rest of this book. It's a great source of doing amazing things for God. And it can also be a great source of evil. So we start off talking about the fact that there are small things like uh, a bit that can control a horse, uh, a rudder that can control uh, uh, a ship. Uh, or think about this in chapter one, or, or verse one, excuse me, where, and I want to get to this, is we're talking about leaders. And one of the things I was going to mention is in the uh, in the King James, for any of you who are using the King James, let me see if I can pull it up real quick here. Yeah. While you're looking for Val, that yeah. Val, uh, I looked up the quote and, and it reminds me a little bit of the internet and a couple of the things that we've experienced the last couple of years politically. Uh, and and it's, it's even better than that. It's, it, what the quote is, if you tell a lie big enough and keep rep repeating it, people will eventually believe it. And I can't help but think of what we went through the last couple yeah, of years. I, I, won, I actually won the election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's good. That's good. In, cha in chapter one, or chapter, uh, verse one of chapter three in James, in the King James, it says that my brethren be not, uh, be not many masters or in essence teachers. The masters is an old English term that referred to a teaching position uh, and, and that knowing that we shall receive greater condemnation. The problem that I have with the King James there is in, in its time frame, it, condemnation was a great term. Today, it has all negative connotation and, and especially it feels like you're just going to be um, uh, that, that you're being uh, uh, judged in a way that is going to bring the wrath of God down upon you. I'm not sure that that's really what it means. Um, and I've got to look for my notes here. The, key, uh, the, the NIV says we stumble in many ways. Um, and that, uh, that uh, it also goes on to say that, uh, that we will be judged more strictly. Think of it like this. The more you learn... The, the more is expected out of you. Uh, when I was teaching uh, undergrads, uh, and they used to talk about term papers, in a term paper for an undergrad, we wanted them to basically go out and find sources and then use those sources in their paper to uh, basically prove their point. In, in, ma in, in a master's program, you did it even more so, and you started to... Uh, uh, put a few of your thoughts into it. By the time you got to a doctorate, you were supposed to read a whole bunch and then come to your own conclusions. Well, the, the paper was judged 
based on content, what you expected out of an undergrad, you expected a whole lot more out of a graduate student. And out of a doctoral student, you expected a whole lot more, even beyond that. So if you were going to be a teacher, uh, we're, we're expecting, God expects a, a different level of maturity, a different level of ability, a different level of living the life that God wants you to live because he expects for you to come up to that point. And, and that's the tough part is that, and that's the part that we, we, we struggle with is, is if you're going to be a teacher, more is going to be expected out of you. There have been times that I've thought to myself, I'd be a whole lot better off if I didn't know all the, the stuff that I know. Uh, because I'm going to be judged on every bit of it and how I apply it to my life and how I teach it to you. And uh, I, I sometimes think, again, I, I definitely think I'm going to be on the pothole brigade when we get to heaven. I think I'll be filling the potholes. Um, James, I guess the question I have is this. Is James making a mistake by connecting sins of the tongue with sins that are committed by the entire body. And I would say no, because I think words usually lead to deeds. Remember World War II, there used to be the, uh, the phrase that it, where on some posters, I wasn't around then, by the way, uh, but they said, you, loose lips sink ships. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, why? Because when you talk, you can let people know things. Things that maybe it would be better if they didn't know. Uh, that could be harmful. Um, so a rudder can be great, but it takes a strong hand to control it. Especially so, have you ever seen the, the rudders on some of the old ships? You know, we expect a rudder like, you know, you're uh, uh, today a sailboat. You have a tiller or whatever. But there it was basically just a big oar sticking out the back of the boat. And you had to have a guy that lean into that to if he was going to turn the ship, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Um, it was hard. It took a strong person to be able to control the rudder. In some cases, it takes a strong person uh, to control, especially a horse that is not used to a bit. So um, when Jesus Christ controls our tongue, we don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or even about saying the right thing in the wrong way, because he'll take care of it. In, in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In, in Psalm 141, David says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, and keep the doors of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil. Boy, you know, there have been times when God has saved me, from saying the wrong thing at the, at the wrong time. But there have also been times when I've totally ignored what he's trying to do in keeping me quiet. And I've said the right thing at the wrong time or the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, he says, out of the abundance of a heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out, what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. That's what changes us. And, um, you have to realize that the guidance of words can be effective. I, I'm reminded of um, a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. I never can remember this guy's name, and every once in a while I run across it. I ran across it over the I was preparing this. He was a, uh, a, a just a, a 
a guy that was a Sunday school teacher. He went into mm-hmm. a Boston shoe store in April, April 21st of 1855 and led a guy to the Lord. The result is one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the world, a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. Moody, yeah. Think of that. And he shook two continents for God. Out of that, there's a direct line of people that were saved as a result of his ministry. And if you go down about four or five generations, you run into another guy that has just had a huge impact. We, in our lifetimes, saw the Lord take him home, and that's Billy Graham. There's a direct result. The guy that led, that led uh, Edward Kimball, led uh, Dwight L. Moody to the Lord, who led somebody else to the Lord, who led somebody else to the Lord, who led somebody else to the Lord, who ultimately led Billy Graham to the Lord, who led millions of people to the Lord. Don't tell me that one person can't make a difference and that what you say and how you say it and how you play out your life, in, it cannot be effective for God way beyond anything you'd experience or think you could do. Um, Proverbs, again, comes out with a whole host of things, things like um, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stirs up anger, Proverbs 15. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord in Proverbs 12. Uh, the multitude of, in the multitude of words, there wants no sin, but he who refrains his lips is wise, Proverbs 10. Um, man, oh man. When I think about what it means, and here's the thing, we're really talking about the tongue, we're talking about it for other people in the in the church and a lot of times we only apply it to to everybody else but think about this james writes this right after talking about teachers and about what their responsibility is i think the responsibility of it falls heavily on the teacher to make sure that he uses his tongue for for good and not for evil that he uses his tongue to to heal wounds not to inflict them uh, unless it's the, in, inflicting them to turn somebody back to the Lord, which obviously we're told to do, right? So does this apply to online posting also? What do you think? Should it? <laughs> yeah. I think it should, yeah. I'm amazed at some of the things that are posted by people today, Larry. I, that's a good, it's a good point. We, we seem to think that we have anonymity because we're not in the same room with somebody and we can flame somebody. And, you, you know, I looked at, sometimes I, there have been times, let me tell you, there are a lot of times there are things that I want to write to people that I'd never do, or I write to them and I never send it. Cause I write it, I write it in, in word or something so that it's not, I'm not tempted to push a button and send it. I had a guy recently uh, post something about, uh, I can't remember what it was, but his friend I knew in high school. And he posted somebody's comments. And I thought to myself, this guy that you're listening to is dead wrong. And here are the, here are the next you know, 10, 10 reasons why. And I was so tempted to send him a note. And I thought, well, if I do, I'm going to send it privately. I'm not going to send it publicly because I don't want to start a war. But I was thinking I probably should send him a note to let him know that, well, there's a couple of things he needs to think about in this process of who this, what this guy had to say. 
that didn't jive spiritually, didn't jive with scripture, needed to be addressed. But how I address it is really important. You know, you don't want to start a war on uh, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever else you use. Think about this. Uh, I've got a couple of passages I'm going to read. This is uh, when it comes to being a teacher and someone who's judged more severely. L listen to what Paul says in Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, it's a few verses, so give me a chance to read through it. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having hope of eternal life. By the way, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to... And I want you to stress these things to those who have been trusted in God, uh, that are trusted in God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Here's a few of the things we like to argue about. Avoid foolish conversations, genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law. Because there's no, these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. And he says, soon I'll send you Artemis and Tychias to you. Do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to win her there. Do everything you can to help uh, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they that they have everything they need. That's what Paul is saying to, to, to Timothy about being a good leader and applies to all of us as to how we're to live. Do I live my life that way? Sometimes I don't. Again, I Paul or Paul James is not saying that uh, the judgment of teachers is uh, condemnation, but is stricter because uh, there's a greater responsibility that rests on teachers. Uh, it would appear that James is, is kind of warning them to limit the number of teachers they have in their midst. Self-limitation should be established. To be a teacher within a church is something for which somebody's recognized as being a teacher. It isn't that I decided to go out and be a teacher. It's that people heard you or heard you speak or, you know, talking, you, you know, that person might be a good teacher. Maybe they have got God's wisdom in them and they can share that. It requires the mastering of scripture and how to apply it to faith and to life. And here's the other part of the problem. You have to apply it to your own life before you can help others apply it to theirs. You want to be an example, right? Hey, do what I say. Don't do what I do. 
Isn't uh, teaching one of the gifts or yeah, uh, to the church? It's like apostles, pastors, yep. evangelists, and teachers. Yep. And so uh, I, I think when I was doing some research, uh, it was saying that uh, the church at that time, everybody wanted to be a teacher. Everybody came to the Lord. And they, everybody wanted to be a teacher, but they weren't necessarily gifted in that, in that uh, respect. Good point. Really good point. Yeah, there, <clears throat> there are, are person gifts that God gives a church. Uh, apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And the, the, the issue is that those people are given to the church to help the church grow and to help the church stay on track. And... Uh, we need to be careful about how we do that. Sometimes you choose somebody to, to do to teach before they're really ready to teach, before they're really matured. You know, my, my father-in-law, who is now going on to be with the Lord, used to say that you shouldn't probably bring have a man be the a lead pastor in a church until he was probably close to 50. Just because he doesn't have the experience of life. He hasn't been seasoned enough. God hasn't dealt with him enough. Doesn't mean he shouldn't be on staff, but he shouldn't be the top dog. And I, I, it makes me wonder sometimes how churches go. And and the, the issue was there was a guy that they hired at the church that my my father-in-law was a, a, a deacon at, and that was their top of the of the lay people. It was deacons and elders. And so uh, he was not real happy about them bringing this guy on. Now. This guy did a great job. He really took a church that was only a couple hundred and grew it up to around uh, 1,500. But he also had some major problems. He was a young guy. And uh, he ended up running off with a woman uh, that he was counseling the week that I was supposed to be married by him. He was supposed to be the minister of our at our wedding <laughs> so we were scrambling trying to come up with a, an alternative and he just took off he disappeared threw off with a lady and uh, and every time he got back into the pulpit every he he was in he pastored two or three other places thinking that he had been restored and every time he ran off with another with a woman i don't know how his wife ever managed to stay with him she oh, did but it's like, you know, two or three times, it's like, man, oh, man, that's a pattern. This guy should not be leading. Just shouldn't. All right. Um, he's probably okay now. He's, yeah, about, he's probably dead. about 70 now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's probably, he's probably, yeah. Probably in his late 70s or early 80s. Um, you know, I think James is probably, and I'm just, guessing but you know james sticks so close to what jesus has taught i can't help but wonder if when james wrote this if he wasn't thinking back to a passage that in matthew and, and mark and luke and the synoptic gospels in, in matthew it says if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea it's pretty important that you don't lead people astray and it's, it's obviously, you know, there's something about being a teacher that when you, at least when you're young, you really want it. You know, you just, you can't wait to do it. You want to be it and sometimes shouldn't, shouldn't be there. You're not ready. You're not seasoned enough yet. 
And I can say that as a guy who used to think that I needed to be that guy early on in my life. I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that uh, I had some maturing to do. And I think that might be one of the reasons why I didn't want to teach James again was the fact that the very first place I was ever I ever pastored was I taught the book of James. And I told you it was I lived this book after that for several years. <laughs> and I said, there's no way in the world I ever want to, do, <laughs> want to teach this again. So thank you, Tom. Thank you, Gary, who's not on today. I hate you guys. No, I'm. <laughs> oh, well. So we, everyone stumbles. Everyone stumbles. We all stumble in many ways. Everyone stumbles. Everyone sins in all sorts of different ways. And falling short of what is taught is, is what God is talking about here. We shouldn't be doing that. We need to live in a way that uh, is circumspect, that has the conduct that God expects for us to have. Um, he literally says, you know, in, in, in verse two there, if anyone does not stumble in what he says literally in his words, he or she is perfect or mature. Um, you know, there, there used to be the saying that sometimes it's better if you didn't say anything, because when you do, you prove that you are a fool. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Keep quiet. Everyone thinks you're wise. Yeah. Yeah. Ask a lot of questions. Don't give a lot of answers. Oh, that's what a rabbi does. Um, <laughs> if if uh, Proverbs uh, uh, 6.2 says, if you have been trapped by what you say, ensnared by your words in your mouth, you can do that. You can become trapped by what you say. There have been times when I have stood on the platform and taught and something comes out of my mouth and I've gone, what in the world did I just say? I just spoke heresy. I got to go back and fix that. Now, how in the world do I do that? That's what's going through my mind sometimes when you, there's a slight pause. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if that might be with other pastors. I don't know. It's like, man, I can't believe I just said that. How do I how do I save my bacon out of this one? Or how do I at least correct what I said? It's uh, Proverbs, there's several here in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, uh, 9 says, uh, with his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but a tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who live it will eat its fruit. Those who love it, excuse me, those who love it, it's fruit. It, I think what this passage is, what Paul is saying here, or Paul, I'm sorry, why do I keep saying Paul? James, this is what they, we call an aphorism. It's uh, a proverb, it's a maxim, it's an axiom, it's an, an adage, it's a, 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 an epigram, it's a, a, a general truth. Um, it, it, it just tells that we need to remember that God wants us to mature and, and when you're mature you do less and less of things that are wrong boy have I got a problem with that at times I'm I know I'm the only one that has that problem talking about keeping the whole body in check literally this idea of stumbling is uh, 
here to stumble, causes one to stumble. In the, in the Jewish perspective, the idea of stumbling was uh, used as a figurative reference to sin. And I think we catch that here. But it literally means that you don't sin with your mouth. Um, it's interesting that a body has lots of appetites. And a, a, a person that can control their appetites is, is kind of like a person who can control a horse by a bit in his mouth. You know, sometimes they talk about some horses have a hard mouth or have a soft mouth. They take a bit easily. Uh, a soft mouth, you have to be careful about pulling on the bit because it can it can hurt them. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could learn to be have soft mouths to the bit that God uses for us? Did, did you know that, that creating large things is not the source or the objective of Christian faith? Wisdom from God provides the capacity for being useful. Uh, and whether it's useful wisdom, wisdom for the body, wisdom for the institutes that we are involved with, for movements of people, for groups. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how God can use the tongue to build up a church and also to tear it down. I noticed that in this thing about ships in verse four, I, I noticed three things. Ships made in that day were difficult to control. It, it, it was very, they, they were large and it took a strong hand on the tiller. You know, it, it, it almost like those of us probably, we probably had cars that did not have power steering at one time. When you don't have power steering, it takes a lot to maneuver that car around, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you Sometimes you were done driving and you felt like you'd been beat up a little bit. <laughs> Keeping that, that, but boy, put power steering with the with the car, and I can do it with one hand. I can do it with one finger or a couple of fingers. Man, I can I can move that car, and maneuver it all over. Why? Because I have control. So it takes a strong person uh, to to in that day to to co correct the course of a, of a ship, and and those. That was tough because you had strong winds that were driving it. It wasn't like you had a motor, even if you had uh, a galley with people uh, rowing. Uh, strong winds could still change the course, and so you needed uh, to be strong and to steer. And you then you were steering by what would at that time would be a, a very small rudder. Uh, it was a. Uh, on the end of a tiller, it was a blade, if you will. It was extended through a, a, uh, an oarlock at the rear of the ship. And that's how you piloted the ship. That's how you controlled the ship, was with a rudder. And he, James points out that it's small, just like the bit of a horse's mouth. But it's insignificant when compared to the rest of the ship. But, boy, it really helps the ship to be able to maneuver. Um, the tongue here represents not only just the, the physical organ, but also obviously what our speech. Uh, and it's often not easily ma mastered. Seems like you can get guys that can master, you know, if you exercise, you can have a buff body. Um, you can do a lot of things with mastering, but boy, the tongue is always one of those things that's tough to do. 
It says the tongue makes great boasts. And uh, it takes a lot to control the tongue. Um, it says that it's boastful. You know, in, in verses uh, uh, five, it makes great boasts. You consider what a great forest is set on fire with a small spark. Think about this. Uh, a couple of passages I'll just read. If you want to jot them down, I'm talking about Psalm 52, verses one through four, where it says, why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth, Selah. You love every harmful word, oh, you deceitful tongue. Psalm 39, verses 1 through 3. I have said I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on, on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. Hmm. You ever done that? I, I can remember I had a family member <laughs> that I had to watch so carefully what I said to them. They were always digging for information that they didn't necessarily need to know. And I swear this person would have been a wonderful interrogator. They could ask questions, the same question they'd ask four or five different ways, always trying to come at it from a different way, trying to get information that they weren't, they didn't need to know. It was none of their business. But man, they, they knew how to ask questions. Psalm um, Psalm uh, 120 verses two through four. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful and from deceitful tongues. What will He do to you? And what more? And what more beside, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of a broom tree. <laughs> it's one of those trees that you use to make brooms out of. Uh, a wise heart, Proverbs 16 says, a wise heart is, call, is called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. Proverbs 26 says this, he says, uh, coal, a, as charcoal to embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost part. Isn't that true? You heard about so-and-so, I just can't wait to share with you. I think sometimes pastors are the biggest gossips. Now, maybe not to the congregation, but to other pastors. Oh, you can't believe what so-and-so did. Um, it's, it's hard. In fact, it, it says here that it, it's a tongue, uh, that it's, where uh, uh, is the passage here? It is a tongue. Of, uh, in verse 6, it says that it's, it's set on fire of, from hell. This is the word. Uh, Gehenna. Uh, this is the uh, the idea of um, uh, of what Jesus imagines the fate of the damned to be. Gehenna was a uh, uh, a valley outside of the city of Jerusalem, and uh, it in Jesus' day it was a uh, a place where they it was a trash heap and they would burn the trash. And the, the flames of the, of, the, of the 
burning trash would go on day and night. It never went out. It was constantly on fire. Uh, you just added more to the, to the flames. It was also considered a, a place where one of the, uh, I don't, I think it was the Babylonians, uh, literally drug um, uh, and killed thousands and thousands of, Israel, of Judah's uh, people uh, in Gehenna. It was a place of death. It was a place of destruction. It was a place of, of everlasting fire, if you will. Um, it kind of reminds me that uh, um, what a small spark can do. Think about this. In uh, October 8th of uh, 1871, of which I wasn't there, but at 8.30 p.m., there was a, a person in a barn, in O'Leary's barn in Chicago, who kicked over uh, a lamp, and they caused a fire. In Chicago, 100,000 people were left homeless as a result of that fire. 17,500 buildings were destroyed and 300 people died in the Chicago fire of 1871. It's estimated that the cost to the city was over $400 million. I, I think about what's going on in California, small fire, destroying everything <clears throat> tough time with fires right now yeah tough to go man so fire not only starts small and grows it creates heat it defiles think about that uh, that uh, tanker that turned over on i-75 at big beaver that was brand new concrete mm. it had just been finished it hadn't been that long it hadn't even been a year i don't think it's been open they were they were talking to I don't know safety you know someone uh, that understood concrete a whole lot better than I did and he goes yeah he says that concrete's no good it has to be torn out and redone it's too brittle now it won't handle uh, it won't handle the traffic won't handle the weight it, it creates heat and it defiles and they got to destroy they got to take that concrete out after result of that fire and rebuild it mm -hmm. fire burns and hurts. You've ever, I know, imagine many of us have had that happen. We touched something that was hot. It burns, it hurts, right? Think about what happens when people attack you. I, I wonder, now I know that Jesus was fully God and he was also fully man. But when he was here on earth, you know, they used to say the worst things about him that they could possibly say. Things like, oh, I don't know. He was a gluttonous guy because he went to a feast. He was a wine giver, maybe because he made wine at Cana. I don't know. But they used to say that, that and, and they were just criticizing. Now, the other thing is, if he didn't do that, they would have criticized him if he didn't do it. Never never a man spoke like this man, right? Uh, yeah. Get, render unto Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. It, fire destroys. Think about the words that we speak have the power to destroy. Someone, I don't know who in the world did this. And, and I don't know why I would have taken the time to, but I ran across this small statistic that for every word of Hitler's book in Mein Kampf, 125 lives were lost in World War II. For every word that he wrote. You, you, you don't think that it, it, it can be dangerous, the words we use? 
it, it goes on to say it's like a danger. The, the, the tongue is like a dangerous animal. Um, you know, I'm reminded that when you go through, you know, you, you ever been to the, the safaris? You know, they have those places here. And there's one down in, near Cleveland, I think. And there's a couple of others around where you can drive through your car and you can see all the wild animals. Rick's been to Africa. Um, I don't know if anybody else has been that I know of, but I know Rick's been to Africa. When you go through an area where there's animals, they have signs posted, at least in the, the African safari, you know, here in America, where we have them roaming free. Don't leave your car. Don't open your windows. Don't feed the animals. Why? Because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, they're peaceful until they're riled. And when they're riled, man, you don't want to have to be, you don't want to be around them. And it also goes on to say that 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 our tongues can spread poison, just like certain uh, animals are poisonous. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them, their tongues are poisonous. Some of them have venom in their in their mouths. Remember the the uh, what, I forget it was a uh, was it a zebra cobra or yeah, it was a banded cobra that got loose in, in the Carolinas, it escaped out of this guy's house. The cobra could spit venom seventeen feet. Mm -hmm. I'm going, who decides that that would be a great animal to keep as a pet? My nephew. Your nephew. You'd never want to take it out and, and pet it. You know? Tongue can't be, can, cannot be, like like a flame, a tongue can't be contained, it can't be tamed by man. It has to be tamed by God. It, it is only God that can help us control our tongues. Hey, but the, the, flip, the, flip, the flip side of that is I've heard silence is golden, but sometimes it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got I got a uh, I, I got a quote from the, the great uh, theologian Toby Mac. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the song he wrote, uh, and I, I actually try to try to uh, to live these words, and this is this is kind of the. I mean, we've been looking at the the negative side of of uh, of the tongue and and our our words and stuff like that. And I, and I like I like this uh, chorus from the song "Speak Light." It says, uh, "Lift your head a little higher, spread the love like fire. Hope will fall like rain when you speak life with the words you say. Raise your thoughts a little higher, use your words to inspire." Joy will fall like rain when you speak life with the words you say. So, the con or or the positive of our tongue is we can speak life and we can speak hope and joy. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, and and spread the love like fire. You know, uh, and um, I try to look well, at the positive of the of the tongue. I I think I I was going to do a lesson on on James chapter three at one point. Uh, yeah, and uh, I was going to try to take the uh, there's a, there's a lot of warnings in there, but I think that in the last part of the verses it, it starts to talk about you know uh, uh, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing and my yep. brothers and, and I was going to say my title would have been let the redeemed of the Lord say so you know? nice but those that are redeemed. Speak life. 
Yeah, Proverbs, it reminds me of Proverbs 16, 21, where it says a wise heart is, is uh, called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. Also talks about the fact that uh, with our tongue, we can heal people. And we can we can be encouraging to them. Um, boy, that's great, you know. It's, uh, Proverbs uh, 14, uh, 29 says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick as a quick temper exalts folly. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things, man, I need to take heed to. And when it comes to my tongue, I need to do what Colossians 4 says. And we'll use this as we close because we're at the end of our time past it, actually. That our speech should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. If I could just live that out, I'd be a big help to a lot of people, and I would also not get in near the, the kind of trouble I get in sometimes with the things I say. All right, 